I'm Kay Firth Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Hello, Kay. It's so good to see you. It's great to see you as well. Um, always a pleasure. I'm wondering about the badge program because I know you've got some developments and perhaps you could share them with, with our audience. Absolutely. We were so delighted to have our final badge session recently. We closed out with our second cohort. It was a really engaged group. I was. It was bittersweet because I really looked forward to the conversations. Everyone was really involved and engaged. Uh, several of them were deep in the business of creating responsible AI frameworks in their organizations. Uh, some were in the early stages uh, and others have more established programs. And so it's really a robust conversation for all of those interested in partaking in responsible AI governance. Uh, and so the good news is we're launching our next cohort. And October 27th will be our first day of our, our six-month program. So as you know, each session is an hour and a half, and we'll hear from global AI leaders from Microsoft and Google and Salesforce and the fabulous Kathy O'Neill will once again teach us how to create an ethical AI matrix and brilliant lawyers uh, will talk to us about the risks they're seeing, how they're advising their clients, uh, as well as policymakers. So can't wait to get it started again, October 27th. That's wonderful. And it's such a privilege to be able to be with you on some of these um, sessions as well. Thank you, Kay. We really benefit from your deep insight and your global perspective. And speaking of deep insight and global perspective, really looking forward to talking with Mark Bryan today. Absolutely. And particularly, you know, digging into data and how data is created and how you think about responsible data so that you can then build to responsible artificial intelligence. Indeed, let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of In AI We Trust. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Mark Bryan. Mark's the CEO and Managing Director of Appen, which provides high quality training data for thousands of machine learning and AI initiatives. Mark also has over 25 years of experience in the technology and service sectors. Prior to joining Appen, he was CEO of MST Global, a provider of technology services to the resources sector. And before that, was the CEO of Integrated Research Limited and the COO of an HR outsourcing company. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. To start off, Mark, how did you become interested in artificial intelligence and in particular, the sourcing responsible data sets for AI? Yeah, thanks, Kay. And, and thank you for uh, for inviting me. I, I, I joined Appen about seven years ago. And prior to that, I had a fairly rudimentary understanding of, of AI and uh, in, in particular, speech recognition and, and the work that we were doing at, at the time. And when I started working with App and I got I got quite fascinated by it and how not only the technologies work, but how they were built and um, how it, it requires the sourcing of data for, for speech, for example, you know, many thousands of hours of recordings of people speaking in different languages, different dialects and different uh, acoustic settings, background noises, uh, et cetera. It, you know, it became 
I, I guess a bit of a, a bit of an obsession to see, uh, you know, how how far the technology would go and how uh, how useful it could be. But at the same time, you know, how it would be built in a in a in a responsible and, and ethical way. Well, thank goodness for that. It seems like you've made tremendous progress with your work at Appen. Uh, last month, you released the annual State of AI and Machine Learning Report, where you surveyed decision makers in the United States, the UK, Ireland, and Germany. And as I understand it, 93% of the respondents indicated they believe responsible AI is the foundation of all AI projects within their organization. That is certainly good to hear. So can you please interpret for us, what does this mean? What does responsible AI mean to Appen and to you? So we look at this through two lenses. The first is the responsible performance of, of the AI product, that it works for everybody that would use the, the product. And I can talk more about that. And the second uh, aspect that we look at is the responsible sourcing of the data that goes into the AI product. So if we take those in turn, first of all, the responsible performance of the AI. If, for example, you're building a, um, a piece of AI technology that's to be used inside a vehicle uh, cabin to detect driver drowsiness, we've, we've done a lot of work in this area. It's going to work well with uh, you know, the, the people that you collect the data from. So if you only have for example, you know, middle-aged, bald, Caucasian guys like me, uh, it's going to work well for, for that cohort of individuals, and it may not work well for women. It may not work well for people of colour. It may not work well for people wearing hats or glasses and, and many other varieties of, of human beings. So, so for, for the AI to perform responsibly, it needs a suitably diverse data set, a data set that represents all possible users of that AI. Another example, I talked earlier about speech recognition. Uh, again, if you collect only recordings of people speaking US accented English, it's going to work well for them, but it may not work well for, for other people. And, and this is not just a commercial problem in that if the product doesn't perform, if one speech recognizer doesn't perform as well as another one, people may not buy the first one, they only buy the second one. It, it's actually more than that because these things become useful and, and necessary utilities for people. So, so take the speech recognizer in a mobile phone. Many of us just use it, you know, maybe even just for novelty value or convenience value. But if you're somebody that relies on it uh, because potentially of a, of a disability or the work you do, it, it's got to work for you as well. So the manufacturers of these products or the designers and makers of these products need to make sure that their data sets, their training data sets, reflect the end users and, and, and the diversity thereof of those end users. So that's the first thing uh, that, that we look at and that we're passionate about is that we're providing data to our customers that is suitably diverse that makes sure the AI performs responsibly. The, the second aspect that's important to us is the responsible sourcing of the data. So uh, training data is, is necessarily derived from you know, cohorts of workers who may be the people recording their voices or maybe their pictures that are being used in the AI, or it may be you know, them providing some labeling service for the data. And so as, as collectors and as um, providers of that data, we want to make sure, first of all, that we have, you know, that the people that are doing the work for us, people that are recording their voices, for example, that they're fully aware of, of why they're recording their voice, that they're compensated for that, 
and that they know you know what's what's going to happen to their to their voice recording so there's there's full awareness of that um so we're not doing anything in the wrong way surreptitiously for example the second thing is that we compensate people fairly for the work they do and, and this is a really important area because as, as people want more data and, and more training data, um, clearly cost becomes an issue, but you, you, you can't um, drive the cost down to the point where you can't pay people um, responsibly and, and ethically. Uh, and we have a number of mechanisms that help our customers with that, which I can explain. Um, but, but for now, the sort of two key areas that we look at is diverse data sets that go to responsibly performing AI and the responsible sourcing of, of the AI data. Mark, that's so good to hear. And I want to dig into this question of sourcing quality data a little bit more because the report that we just referenced also revealed companies have found the sourcing of quality data a significant obstacle in actually creating responsible AI. So you've talked a little bit about what you think constitutes quality data. But I wonder what is the common pitfalls for those attempting to source that quality data and what mechanisms can be implemented to avoid those problems? So the model's going to perform well with a lot of data. So, you know, there's there's a strong correlation between data volume and, and model performance. And many of our customers start out with, okay, we, we have a view of uh, the data we need and it's, you know, a large volume of data. And then we tell them, well, it's going to cost this much. And they're, oh, uh-oh. You know, and inevitably it's not, well, we'll use less data. It's okay, you need to drop the price. And this is where we rely on our experience to, to educate our customers around the cost of doing that. We actually use AI ourselves to, to estimate the time taken for a particular task. And in doing so, estimate the, and you know, we, we offer a cost to the customer. We say that, you know, if you want to do this work in this country or using these people, here's what, what we recommend as, as a cost for, um, for that task. And you know, the majority of our customers work with us on those, on those recommendations. Um, we also do point out that we, and most likely them, have policies internally around things like modern slavery. So you know, they need to be true to the, their policies and we need to be true to our our policies as well. So we use you know, a variety of means to, to help educate our customers around, around the cost of, of sourcing the, the data they need. And, and we work with them. There, there are certain efficiencies that we can bring into the project. Uh, we use a lot of our own technology to make the processes more streamlined and more efficient. But fundamentally, at the end of it, we've got to make sure that we're paying the people uh, a fair amount for, for the work that we're doing for them. Mark, that's so interesting. Thank you for bringing up that very real challenge. We can talk about responsible AI and the magical ingredients that it takes hard enough to figure out as it is, but then understanding the real burden of cost is really important. So thank you for for raising that. I would love to learn more about what are the costs involved beyond uh, paying those with which the data is being created and would also love uh, a different perspective, and that is, you know, you're advising and providing data sets to such a wide array of companies from some of the largest technology companies, Microsoft, Google, Boeing, Amazon, Salesforce, uh, and small companies. So one other question I had for you is if you could share with us some of the key lessons you've learned in supporting companies in their journey to create responsible AI, what are some of the key 
takeaways? What are some of the key things to avoid? Uh, and if you wouldn't mind adding the wrinkle of how that would be different for a large or small company if there are differences. The key takeaway for us in, in, in all of our experience is that ultimately, you know, our customers will pay for, for high quality, ethically sourced data. You know, there's many aspects of, of data quality. Data diversity is, is one of them. But quality data leads to, to high-performing AI. And, and our larger customers, some of the ones that you mentioned there who have more experience in developing AI products, they, they understand the, the need for, for quality data. Uh, they also share our sense of responsibility for, for ethically sourcing the data as well. And so, you know, it's it's a relatively easy conversation with our, our big customers around the, the the price of data. You know, they're, they're, they're demanding customers in many ways, don't, don't get me wrong, but um, they're sensitive as we are to um, making sure that people are paid well for, for the work that is required and that ultimately they're getting high quality data from us. You know, in the sort of lead up to the question, you talked about some of the other costs involved. Paying people well is not always the route to uh, high quality work. So we have to put a, a sort of a management layer over the top of the work that the, uh, the workers do for us. For example, we have to accurately describe the task that they've got to perform for us. We have to then measure the quality of the outcome of the work that they do for us. And if, if it's not good enough, we have to redo that and we have to factor that into, into the management as well. So there's a number of things that we have to do to make sure that we get high quality data. But the key cost is the cost that we provide for the worker and we want to make sure that that's at the right level as well. To your major question, though, you know, the key, the key takeaway is that our major customers or they all have a need for high quality data, but they also share our sense of responsibility around the ethically sourcing of that data too. Super, thank you. And Appen is fortunately a partner to us at the World Economic Forum. And you've been involved in some of our work around responsible AI. And I wonder whether you have developed a framework or something like that within Appen that helps you explore all these different areas of responsible AI? So we, um, we sort of stick to our knitting in a sense, and that is that we do have a framework around the way we engage with our, our crowd workers. We have a crowd code of ethics that talks to a number of aspects, including pay, but also communication and, and support. And that's, that's a sort of a principle framework for, for us around making sure that we are looking after the crowd workers and that they're providing you know, high quality data for, for our customers. We're exploring some other areas that are, are related to this. Um, for example, the use of synthetic data, which you know, can help to add to the data set that we provide to our customers and can provide a different price point, um, which in no way you know, undermines the, the work that we do with our crowd workers, but ultimately it could lead to a more cost-effective data set because it's much easier to produce the, uh, the synthetic data at scale. Um, so in a kind of a roundabout way, Kay, we're, we're sort of bridging from, you know, we're, we're looking for new ways to fulfill the need for our customers for high volumes of high quality data without, you know, a race to the bottom on, on wages, which we think is the wrong way to do it. Very helpful to understand. Thank you. So we get the picture that uh, there's a lot of work you're putting into making sure that the clients you're working with have quality training data. 
Can you walk us through a little bit of how you make that determination? What kind of testing do you do to decide if the data is safe? Uh, is there a general cadence for the timing of the testing? Do you have protocols in place for the, I'm sure, uncomfortable situation when you have to tell a client it's not yet ready or there are challenges that sometimes will be unrecoverable or, or perpetual challenges? Yeah, so there's a few ways of testing the quality of the data. And some of those ways also help us uncover whether the data is being sourced uh, responsibly or not. Let's take the example of, you know, we work with some of our very large customers to have our workers assess the quality of a search result or, or an ad that's placed online or on social media. And it's work that um, requires a degree of sort of cultural um, understanding. So what you may think is a good result for a, a search query in the US may be different to what I may think is a good result for that search query in Australia or you know somebody here in the UK, uh, for example. So we have to get people from, from those locations to do this work. And then there are various ways of us measuring the quality of, of that work. We use what are called gold sets, which are questions that we know the answers to, and we, we send those out to people and we sort of check that they're doing the right thing. We have, uh, we can put a, a quality layer over the top of it. So somebody provides a judgment in this case and somebody else checks it. And, and that adds to the expense, but it also adds to the quality. This is particularly helpful in also, uh, as I said, uncovering where people may be doing the wrong thing. So for example, we also check the IP address of, of the person that's doing the work for us to make sure that they're in the location that they said they were. Because what we might find is somebody in another location who could be potentially almost hothousing the work. In other words, they've got people working for them to, to do the work. They get paid. These people get paid less. And we can uncover that with our technology and with our quality checks. So, that, so there was a couple of things in there which I hope came through. The first is that by checking the quality of the data, we not only provide a high-quality outcome to our customers, but we also check that the people that are doing the work for us are actually doing the work for us. And people aren't trying to cheat the system and consequently cheat other people at the same time. That's super to know. And, and I think really helpful for anyone listening to the podcast because data is the key for AI and getting your data right is the most important piece. So you collect a variety of data, speech data, data from search, data from social media, but you have said that the language data is very important in particular because that's how we interface with the technology. So digging a little bit deeper into the human interaction with technology, how do you account for the human element and how does that impact your considerations when sourcing this data for AI? Yeah, so if if we have to, um, for example, if our customer is building a product that recognizes human speech, they need to get recordings transcribed, high quality transcribed recordings of, of speech in the various languages and, and accents that, that they need for that particular product. And, and we've worked on many, many products like this over the years. And the products start typically with US accented English is the biggest market for a lot of these products but then over time the requirement grows to to many other languages and uh and many other many other accents and uh and we find ourselves you know sometimes having to go on site to various countries and and have people come to us and we record their voices um in a sort of a mini studio 
and then transcribe those audio tracks and, and package them up and, and send it to our customers. So, you know, it's it's truly a, a global um, phenomenon from that perspective. I think we've worked in, you know, nearly 200 countries and definitely in more than 200 languages around the world. And, you know, that's a, a super important part of the business we do. And, and it provides a real benefit for, for the people that do, do the work for us. Um, as I said, we make sure we pay them correctly and uh, we get a lot of feedback from these people that, that the work that we, the payment that we provide them is, is really important. So, um, you know, we're, we're proud of that. We're proud of the fact that we provide work for people and proud of the fact that we provide some, some income for them too. Very cool. Well, building on that point, as a global company, and as you've indicated, you're operating in a handful of countries. And so that means that regulations in the various countries will impact your work, how you do your work, how you need to change, perhaps how you're doing your work. Given that many countries are currently thinking about how to regulate AI, several multinational organizations are helping with guidance and developing these standards and regulations. We'd be very curious to hear your ideas on how you would advise a policymaker. What would you say would be helpful to your efforts? What would be hurtful? What would impede your efforts to help support trustworthy, responsible AI as a global player in this space? Yeah, I think one of the areas that policymakers spend time on is the, the legal frameworks around gig workers, which is a, that's essentially what you know the, the workers that we work are are members of our global crowd, and uh, they're essentially gig workers. And, and gig work can be a healthy thing, but it can also be, you know, it can also be abused. And so I think getting the, the policy frameworks right around that, both the government and the employer um, and the gig worker themselves, you know, need clarity around the relationships that the employer should provide to the gig worker. The, the government needs to make sure that there are the, the right frameworks for, for employers as well. Uh, many of the laws very much designed around traditional employment relationships, full-time employment relationships, contractor relationships. Um, so there's a bit of work there to do for policymakers to get that right, because, you know, gig work can be, you know, it can be a good thing. It can provide work opportunities for people around the world, but but it also has been abused and it needs to be um, managed properly um, by both policymakers and, and the people that are providing the work. Mark, thank you for that. We are sadly at the end of our show, but we always ask our guests the same final question. So if you had a magic wand and you wanted to achieve one wish to help us achieve responsible AI, what would your wish be? I think it's um, it's along the lines of the last response, just it's awareness around the value that the workers bring to AI and that, that they're rewarded for that, that value, that customers know that they've got to pay for, for high-quality data, that policymakers know that gig work can be a good thing, um, provided the frameworks are there, and that employers like us um, you know, act responsibly in, in that ecosystem too. Wonderful. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with us and our listeners about the important work you're doing, explaining the data underlying these AI systems we are becoming so reliant on, and uh, giving us a glimpse into your day. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. So that was so fascinating to hear Mark talk about not only 
how they think about responsible AI and data within Appen, but also that emphasis that he put on making sure that the workers are adequately paid and even to the point where he has to explain to customers that we have to have good quality data and part of good quality data is making sure that your workers around the world are properly paid and have incomes. And it's just so refreshing to hear someone talk about the gig economy with an idea that it's a way for people to get paid properly and to be able to support their families, as opposed to something that they're getting paid pennies for. You know, he even mentioned that those words, modern slavery. Um, so really serious about this. Yeah, it was really refreshing, as you said. I think it was really helpful for us to drill down when we're talking about the costs and challenges to really underscore this point he made. You know, AI, as we know, is one of the main ingredients of our lives. It's, it's fueling us uh, in so many ways, large and small. And one of the key ingredients in AI is data. And so it's really helpful to look deeper into what is happening, what makes for good data. How do you decide if it's useful? And I like how he breaks it down into two different paths. One is the performance. Um, we really need companies who are creating data organizations to be asking that question because it's too hard for a company to inherit data that has not been tested for a large user base and know for whom was it not tested, for whom will this fail? And so really, really helpful that he takes on that responsibility and tries to think about all the potential use cases and users, as well as the responsible sourcing that you've talked about, making sure that what he's creating is not just diverse, um, but also that it's in, in inclusive and that it's responsible in how it's creating that valuable tool. And certainly from my perspective as a Brit living in the United States, all power to his elbow because for the longest time, no machine has been able to understand me because it's trained on American voices. And so, you know, it's so important in, in, in a more serious vein, it's so important that all the different languages that are used in India, for example, can be used in chatbots, can be used in search, because that's the way that we begin to really democratize the artificial intelligence projects that we create around the world. So true. And, and I also appreciate the way he looks at both lenses, both the language that, you know, he, he talks about how it's not just a nice to have, it's really becoming a main utility. We're relying on voice recognition in key functions and facial recognition and other forms of AI recognition where we need to make sure that different people are heard and seen than those who are originally creating uh, the AI systems, who talks about the development, the design. We need to make sure that people are seen and heard on the other side of those AI systems, but also the cultural nuance. As he said, we need to make sure that the searches are appropriate, that the search results are uh, useful no matter where they're used. And that's gonna look different in a different country, in a different region, uh, and, and something we really need to be sensitive to if we're going to be responsible and effective with the AI systems we offer. 
Absolutely. And just on that, talking about facial recognition, our final paper around the use of facial recognition by law enforcement is in the works and maybe even by the time we next speak, released. So that sort of brings us round in a full circle here. Fantastic. Well, thank you for mentioning that, Kay, and thank you for another great show. Thank you. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible.